Thank you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message. I am pleased today to introduce to you Pastor John Zabowski. Thank you very much. Thank you for that warm welcome. You may be seated. You know, about nine months ago, John, Pastor John, called the greatest preacher in America and invited him to come speak this morning, but he couldn't make it. And then they just, he decided to call the smartest preacher in America, and he said no. The two preachers said no. They decided to call the most handsome preacher in America, and he said no. Then John called me and said, uh, how would you like to come preach at our eighth anniversary? And you know, after turning him down three times, I thought I'd go ahead and say yes. <laughs> My wife would only agree with the handsome one. The rest is because it affects, you know, her choices in life, you know, but good morning. At first, I thought this said 88. <laughs> and, I, and I was already feeling a little old because I've been pastoring for 35 years now, the same church. And, uh, of course, I started when I was 11. <laughs> but needless to say, I don't need to tell you how great your pastors are in Christ, how wonderful they are, because I've known them for a, a very, very long time. And you got to remember, you know, when you go to a church, it's a really big thing. You tend to follow your footsteps, your choices, your decisions, though not exact. You begin to take on the, the spirit of that person, uh, their ministry, and it really does affect your life. And it reminds me of a story that I read about two hunters who were out hunting, and they came upon what appeared at first as an abandoned farm. The barn was sagging. The house was in disrepair. And there were junk cars and parts lying around. Anybody got any neighbors like that? <laughs> the only thing that made it a working farm were a few chickens pecking away and a goat wandering around. And as they entered the yard, these two hunters, they came across an old well. And one asked the other, I wonder how deep it is. The other said, well, we'll have to drop something down and listen for the splash. So they looked around for something to drop down the well, but the only thing close by was an old transmission. So they both hauled it over to the well, and they dropped it in. And they, can, they counted and waited a long time for the splash, and it was a very deep well. They turned to leave and saw that they were being charged by the goat. Head down, horns headed straight for them. At the last moment, they jumped aside, and the goat went right past them, straight over the side of the well, all the way to the bottom. They looked at each other in amazement. As they started to leave, the owner of the farm came up. They chatted for a few moments and got permission from the old farmer to hunt on his land. And the farmer asked, have you seen my goat? 
They said, your goat almost killed us. He came charging at us. You should have had that goat tied up. He said, I did. I had it tied up to an old transmission. <laughs> you tend to follow what you're tied to. Is my point. Amen. And if you don't mind, uh, no, and, and I did not, I never started opening up my, uh, my teachings with something funny because I saw Joe Osteen. He saw me opening up my sermons with something funny, <laughs> you know. But I love good stories. I really do. And this one's about age, and since I'm a little older than uh, John, and uh, I thought I'd share something about what happens in your life, because, you know, this is an anniversary. You're going to have nine. You're going to have ten. You've got wedding anniversaries, birthdays. You've got white hair on your face already. If you had hair on your head, it would be white. <laughs> you know. So there's a story that goes like this, and then I'll start preaching. One day, God created the cow. And God said to the cow, you must go to the field with the farmer, suffer under the sun all day, have calves, give milk to support the farmer. And for that, I'm going to give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow replied to God, that's a tough life if you want me to endure for 60 years. Just give me 20 years, and I'll give you the other 40, Lord. And God agreed. Then God created the dog, and God said to the dog, you must sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past. For that, I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog replied, that's too long to be barking. Just give me 10 years, Lord, and I'll give back the other 10. So God agreed. Then God created the monkey. God said to the monkey, you must entertain people, do monkey tricks, and make them laugh. For that, I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey replied, how boring to do monkey tricks for 20 years. The dog gave you back 10 years, and I would like to do the same if that's okay with you. And God agreed. Then God created man. And God said to man, I want you to eat, sleep, make love, and enjoy. I want you... I know the key word now to use. <laughs> I want you to eat, sleep, play, have, make love. I just got to watch out for kids in church, amen. And enjoy. I want you to do nothing. Just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And the Lord said to man, I'll give you 20 years. And the man replied, 20 years? That's not very much, Lord. He says, why? It's, uh, uh, wait, I'm sorry, let me get Man replied, what? Only 20 years? It's not enough. Man said, why don't I take my 20 and the 40 the cow gave back and the 10 the dog gave back and the 10 the monkey gave back? That makes 80. Is that okay, God? Because I want to eat, sleep, play, make love. And God said, okay. You got a deal. The moral of the story is this. That's why for the first 20 years, man eats, sleeps, plays, and makes love, and enjoys himself, and does nothing. For the next 40 years, man slaves in the sun to support his family. For the next 10 years, man does monkey tricks to entertain his grandchildren. 
And for the last 10 years, man sits on his front porch and barks at everyone that steps on his lawn. So, Pastor John, don't get too old on us now. Come on. I do want to say one thing, that our church was never the same after John and Elaine became a part of it some 15 years ago, and John took charge, literally, of the men's ministry, and Elaine, with her beautiful voice, which I missed this morning, uh, being a part of our worship team, they were a delight to have in our church, and I don't have to tell you how fortunate you are to have them here as your pastor, but happy anniversary, happy anniversary congratulations, and God bless you both and your entire church and your entire team. All right, can I preach for a few minutes? Yes. I want to preach about snakes. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm preaching about it. Because the title of my sermon is Shake It Off. And if you'll endure for a few moments, I got one more quick short story that goes along with this teaching. There was a devout cowboy who lost his favorite Bible while he was out mending fences out on the range. Three weeks later, a snake walked up to him carrying the Bible in its mouth. The cowboy couldn't believe his eyes. He took the precious book out of the snake's mouth, raised his eyes heavenward, and exclaimed, It's a miracle. Not really, said the snake. Your name is written inside the cover. You didn't get that, huh? All right. Acts 28, 1 through 10. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped, escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery, and Paul went in and prayed for him and laid his hands on him. He healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were sh showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. I think this story is fascinating on many levels. And of course, just being bit by a venomous snake would seem fascinating enough. But being a Christian, being like Paul, who wants to do God's will, who is serving God at the time this happens, it makes it even more fascinating because I see a man who just won't quit. Not only is he bitten by a venomous snake, you must realize that he is on a prison ship. He is under arrest. He is being transported to Rome to stand before Caesar. Not only is he on a prison ship, which is no, you know, hey, I'm on a boat. I mean, this is, 
This is a slave ship, and this is tough, and the weather is bad, and boats were not made as well as they are today. This is no yacht. On top of that, he's just been pulled out of the sea, and he's floating on pieces of shipwreck in the dark, and now he's bitten by a venomous snake. And to top it off, all this happens while he's doing the right thing, not while he's doing the wrong thing. And at the time that he's bit, you talk about putting a cherry on top, he's actually helping gather the wood. And while he's putting his hand to the work to serve, in a menial way, he gets bitten by a snake. Now, after making that description, there's a lot of people that would say to themselves, self, if I'm going to get bitten by a snake for doing good, then I might as well not do good and live any old way I want to. But if you think that way, you have already been bitten by the elusive serpent called the dummy snake. You dummy. You see, doing what's right does not shield us against all trouble. Serving God doesn't mean you'll automatically get all A's on your report card. Being a Christian doesn't mean you'll never get a speeding ticket. Or you'll never have a family issue. Or you'll never have an accident. Or that every job you apply for, you're going to receive. If you don't believe it, ask people in the Bible like Job or Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Elijah, Jesus, the disciples. Doing God's will will not shield you against all trouble. However, what serving God will do will give you this. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And that's how the Apostle Paul knew that if a serpent latches onto your hand, all you have to do is shake it off. Don't let life's struggles stop you from doing what God has called you to do. And one of the reasons Paul could not quit after all these terrible experiences he had was because he did not belong to himself. He was not his own. He had given his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And that means to me that to quit is to rebel. Wow. To quit is to rebel. It goes far beyond feeling sorry for yourself and wanting to relieve the pressure and the strain of trying to do what God wants you to do. It is rebellion. Now, this is not the first time we are taught in the Bible that something needs to be shaken off of our lives. Jesus taught the same concept to his disciples. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 11, if you remember this, Jesus said, but if in any place they refuse to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet. And as you leave, to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Jesus was telling his disciples this meant they were not to linger. They were not to argue about the gospel. He's telling them that if you aren't received, don't bother with them, not even with their dust. 
We would say it this way. Stop crying over spilled milk. Move on with your life. Things happen. Everybody say, things happen. There was an old snake that once went to the doctor. He said, doctor, I need something for my eyes. I can't see well these days. The doctor fixes him up with a pair of glasses and tells him to return in two weeks. It's a true story. The snake comes back in two weeks and tells the doctor he's very depressed. The doctor says, what's the problem? Didn't the glasses help you and make you happy? He said, the glasses are fine, doc, but I've just discovered I've been living with a water hose for the past two years. <laughs> Shake it off. Let me give you just a few, just three examples of the type of snakes that every believer, every church, every pastor has to consistently shake off their lives. And I've pretty much already covered the first one. We need to shake off the serpent of crises. You will experience a crisis. Whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, read the Bible a lot, read the Bible a little, pray a lot, pray a little, not pray at all, you will experience crises in your life. And after just saving everyone's life on this ship by this incredible visitation the apostle has by an angel that gives him the instructions on how to save everybody, now another crisis happens to him when he is bitten by this serpent. But you can see it in Paul's life. He believed that if the God that delivered him from that shipwreck and out of that water would deliver him from the serpent. So if God delivered you yesterday, you've got to remember he'll deliver you today. And if he'll deliver you today, he will deliver you tomorrow. So he shook it off. The second serpent you must shake off is the serpent of criticism. As soon as Paul was bitten, he was immediately criticized. What is it in the church world that thinks when a man of God, a woman of God, a Christian goes through something, they must have opened the door. They must have sinned somehow. It must be some type of an evil that they've allowed into their lives. Or maybe what they're going through just proves what you think that your pastor or your leader is going the wrong direction in life. Look what Acts 28 verse 4 says. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Because he got bit by a snake. A murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to leave. You know, Greek mythology was huge at this time in history. And in that part of the world, what they were saying was, if Neptune, the god of the seas, didn't kill him, then Nemesis, the God who disperses judgment, will. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes criticism is needed. Sometimes criticism is a good thing, but it's always difficult. And, it, and it's most often undeserved, and it tends to victimize the soul. It latches on like a serpent pumping in its venom of, you should quit. You should strike back. The venom of depression and the venom of anger. But the Apostle Paul, what did he do? He shook it off. Even Jesus himself was called a blasphemer. 
He was accused of being in league with Satan himself. So don't think because someone is spoken bad of that that makes them bad. Or because someone goes through something or experiences a loss or is attacked by somebody, that that means they somehow opened up the door. Jesus opened no doors to his criticism. Jesus opened no doors for Judas Iscariot to do what he did to him. Jesus opened no doors for Peter to deny him three times. When I first moved to Greenville, North Carolina, I was only, I think I was maybe 22 years old. And for the very first church service, our congregation was racially integrated. From the very first church service, 50-50. After 35 years, it still is today. And a couple of, I'm not bashing white people, but a couple of really staunch Baptist white preachers were talking among themselves. And when they heard about our church, and our church was growing really fast, and it was, it was half white, it was half black, it was just young and old, and everybody you could think of going to the church, they said, about me, he must be the Antichrist. Now, I had read a little bit of the Bible before I started pastoring, and I knew there was no way your last name can be Zabowski. Number one, I wouldn't be smart enough to be the Antichrist. Secondly, the Antichrist comes out of Assyria somewhere. He's, you know, he's from the Middle East. He's not from Cleveland, Ohio. Go Browns! Oh, are you going like this? Your pastor's wife is from Ohio. The pastor from Friday night from Ohio. Can any good thing come out of Ohio? And criticism is especially difficult when you are wrong, but you meant well. And you still get your legs cut out from underneath you with the criticism because you didn't do it right, you didn't do it quick enough, you, you should have done it the way everybody else thought you should have done it. And unfortunately, it happens in church way too much. One reason is we've got people who pride themselves in being direct and speaking their mind, thinking that it's a gift. One such, one such man said to John Wesley, the famed preacher of the Methodist movement, Mr. Wesley, I pride myself in speaking my mind. That is my talent. Well said, Mr. Wesley. The Lord wouldn't mind if you buried that one. You do get that, right? The man that buried his talent in the Bible and the parable? All right. And sometimes criticism, especially for a pastor, doesn't come necessarily through words. Sometimes it comes through people's feet when they walk out of our lives unjustifiably. What should you do in the face of unjust criticism? You do what Moses did when he was criticized by his own brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. He went on leading God's people. He shook it off. He just wouldn't quit. 
And the third and the final serpent that needs to be shaken off is the serpent of cynicism. Look at Acts 28.6. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. I get that feeling sometimes. I ain't talking about from overeating either. Because I've already been swollen like that for many, many years. But people are waiting to see if the tragedy is going to bring it down. If the bad news is going to bring it down. There are some people that are just hoping that we fail because that somehow justifies to them that we've made wrong choices and we're not doing the right thing. But lo and behold, after eight years, the man is still standing. Lo and behold, after 35 years, by God's grace, we're still standing. And you know what? Who are we to criticize the servant, the servant of the Lord when the Bible says that God is able to hold us up? waiting for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. People are so fickle. When they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Soon as he was bit, these people were expecting something bad. I bet as soon as you announced you had cancer, someone thought right away, oh, I knew something bad was going to take place. I knew something would go wrong because I didn't agree with them. Cynicism. Just like the children of Israel when Moses went up on the mountain and told everybody, I'm going to be gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And they made a golden calf. And I'll tell you something that might shock you. Maybe you already know this, but it might shock you. They made that golden calf on the 39th day. One more day. If they could have hung in one more day, Moses would have come down with his face shining. Instead, he comes down in anger. Because they were worshiping a golden calf. And I'll tell you how bad cynicism is. You won't even believe this, what it says in the Bible. When he was up there on that 39th day, and they wanted to make that golden calf, you won't believe what they called Moses. This fellow. Read it in your Bible. They says, perhaps something bad has happened to this fellow Moses. Since when did the prophet of God become this fellow Moses. Cynicism. Cynicism. You'll never make it. We've all been the object of cynicism. You'll never make it. This church won't last. That marriage is over. You'll never change. You'll never get off drugs. You'll never find a job. Right? We've all heard it. But I'm going to tell you, the cynic does not have the last word. And I'll tell you who has the last word. It's actually you. And I know you were thinking in your mind, wouldn't it be more appropriate to say that God has the last word? But here's the issue with that. The Bible teaches us that we are supposed to say what God says. So in that sense, yes, God has the last word, but he wants that last word to come out of your mouth. Romans 10.8. But what does it say? The word is near you. How near in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Some people are just waiting for you to fail. So don't let their cynicism be self-fulfilling by yielding to it with, what's the use? I'm quitting. Jesus did not die until he said it is finished. Then he died. Not after there is not a crisis, there is not a critic, and there is not a cynic that can keep you from doing God's will and prospering in his plan if you will shake them 
off and keep moving. Let me close with an actual true short story. In the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, Tanzanian runner John Stephen Akwari was the last runner in the marathon. He came in about an hour and a half after the winner, practically carrying his leg as it was so bloodied and bandaged. They did a short film on him, and film director Bud Greenspan asked him, why did you keep going? He said, you don't understand. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me to finish it. To finish it. Are you going to finish your race? Are you going to finish your race, John? Are you going to finish? Can you say yes? Can you let that word of faith from your heart and in your mouth say, I'm going to finish the race that God gives me in this life. No matter what's happened to me, no matter what my past is, by the grace of God, I'm going to finish my course, and I will hear those words one day, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet and give God praise. Come on, hallelujah. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Help us to shake it off this morning. To shake off crises. To shake off cynicism. To shake off criticism. We're going forward, Lord. We're not going to quit. We are not of those that shrink back, but those that move forward. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray for these pastors. I pray for the leaders. I pray for this entire precious congregation. God, that they will be able to weather any storm that they'll be able to go through any crisis that presents itself, that they will make it through the cynicism, that they will make it through the criticism, that they will shake it off and not allow other people to define who they are, but to let you define who they are. This is your church. These are your people. These are your servants, Lord. And we need to speak your words, not the words that others speak over our lives. And for that reason, I break the power of words, of negative, of cynicism, of criticism being planted in hearts. May it be plucked out of their mind, out of their soul now. Lord, may these serpents be shaken off for the glory of God and for the glorification of your church that it might go forth triumphant. Hallelujah. And I thank you, Lord, for strengthening your people and causing this church to continue to become strong and to grow as you would see fit. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by today's powerful teaching. Thank you for your continued prayers and financial support of this ministry. Visit us in person at 5805 West Highway 74 in Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's near Lowe's Hardware. Or you can find us on the web at www.changeatc3.org. That's change, C-H-A-N-G-E-A-T-C, the number three, dot org. Or call us at 704-821-7368. Covenant Community Church, where the truth is revealed.